Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Kevin Barra. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, just to let you know a little bit about me, um, I have a wife. I've been married for six years. We started dating when she was a freshman in high school. I was a sophomore in high school, so it's been a long time. I was trying to add it up, maybe 13 years-ish. We have a 14-month-old baby girl, and she's amazing little thing growing. And uh, we also have another baby on the way. So a little boy that we're expecting in October, probably late September, early October. Um, We're going to be in two places this morning in the scripture. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. So if you could flip there, that would be helpful. We'll be in uh, Romans kind of towards the end of the sermon. So you might want to just put your tassel there and go flip to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read it for us, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do what you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for a few moments to gather around your word. To look deep into your word and learn how we might live. The scripture declares that if we have put our faith in you, you've put your spirit in us that we might live. So Father, I pray that this morning we might gain greater insight to how to live the Christian life. And if you'd be willing, I'd ask that you pray for yourself, that your heart would be open to listen to what God would speak directly to you this morning. And if you'd be willing, I'd ask that you pray for me, that my words would make sense and be clear. Well, Father, we love you. We trust you. Use this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everybody wants a win. We're talking today about the victory through the Spirit, um, through the Essentials Packet. I hope you've been tracking with us through this. And the truth is, everyone wants a win. I remember playing in soccer tournaments growing up, and it didn't matter what place you finished in the soccer tournament, everyone got a trophy because everyone wanted to point back to that moment and say, I was successful. Um, I remember running track in junior high growing up, everyone got a ribbon. It seems like everyone that competed got a ribbon. Whether you got first place and got a blue ribbon or eighth place and got a purple ribbon, everyone got a ribbon and wore the ribbon around. Everyone was excited about the ribbon. Even in the Women's World Cup most recently, those grown women competed, kicked a ball around, and at the end of the game, each one of them gets a medal, right? These are grown women, but they want a medal at the end of it as well as a trophy. Um, also, uh, my wife did a, uh, a marathon, the Mickey Marathon in Disney World uh, a couple years ago, and 
at the end of the marathon, each competitor received a Mickey medal. And so smiley Mickey face was on the front of each competitor declaring to everyone out there, this person was a victor, right? This person had success. This person achieved their goal. The reality is every one of us wants to be successful. And we, why do we put degrees on our wall, accolades on our shelves? Because each one of us wants to point back to moments and say, we were successful. We achieved something. It's within all of us. And as a Christian, that desire doesn't diminish. It is present and powerful in each one of the believers. And the reality is in the Christian life, we also desire success. If you're a Christian today, you don't want to just live the Christian life. You don't want to just survive it. You would rather thrive in your Christian life. You don't want to just complete it. You want at the end of the day to say, I was successful in the Christian life that I lived. We all want to get there. The question is, how? Well, first you got to realize the goal. What is the goal of the Christian life? Well, as you look through scripture, it becomes clear. God's goal is God's glory. His desire is to glorify himself. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying, um, kneeling down. He says, Father, glorify your name. The father says to him, I have done it and I will do it. God will glorify himself. The question is, how do we play a part in that? How do we play a part in glorifying God? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you're ever asking yourself, what is God's will? How do I find it? It seems so foreign and out there. This is God's will, your sanctification, that you would grow and look more like Jesus. As well, John chapter 15, verse eight says this, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our God is glorified as you bear fruit in your life, as your life is lived like Jesus. So God's goal for you and God's goal for me as a believer is to look like Jesus and to live like Jesus. And the great news is God hasn't just thrown that out there and said, complete it. He's given us the power to do it by the person of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're looking at victory through the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit partners with us in our life to live the Christian life. But I would ask you is how do we get it? If you're looking for uh, an outline of what we're gonna be covering this morning, it's basically gonna be this. We're gonna look at our source of victory, the indwelling spirit, our battleground, identifying the spirit's work within us and the battle plan. How do we promote the work of the spirit within our lives? First of all, we gotta look at our source of victory. How do we get this promised Holy Spirit? You know, the great problem of the Old Testament was shown in that the people could not obey God. They were given the Ten Commandments and all the people said, we will do it. We will complete it. And God says to them, oh, that you had such a heart. In Ezekiel, there's a promise given to the people of Israel. One day I will pour out my spirit upon you and I will write my law in your hearts. I will change your heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh to obey me. And that comes to the person of the spirit. In the book of John, the gospel of John, Jesus comes onto the scene and John the Baptist is telling everyone, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But beyond that, I baptize you with water, but he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus dies. The disciples freak out. He appears to them and says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It will come to you if you just wait. 
As they go in the book of Acts, it records that the Spirit fell as tongues of fire on each one of them, empowering them for ministry, empowering them to work and live the Christian life. See, the truth is, the Holy Spirit is promised to us, but it also provides great things. It provides indwelling and empowerment. From Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, In him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him by, with the Holy Spirit of promise. How do you get the Spirit? You believe in the truths of Scripture. That Jesus died in your place for your sins. And the Spirit is sent to indwell within you. Romans 8.11 says this, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells within you. See, God has sent his Spirit to dwell within the believer, to empower them to live the Christian life. But here's the problem. That's great news, but the issue is with a new roommate always comes conflict. And you know this. Scripture will also use the term as an old man to describe our old nature. See, God puts forth his spirit to live within you, creating new desires to love and follow him. But you still have your old sin nature. Scripture calls that the old man. So each one of us has an old geezer living within each one of us who desires to do things the way he's always done them, right? But also beyond that, you know, as married people, new roommates bring new conflict. When that wife came into your house, no longer can you write your name on your ice cream and stick it in the freezer and tell your wife, you can't touch that like you did your college roommates. Um, You've got to share that. Um, Guys, no longer can you have that pile of clothing to the side of your bed and sift through and find the ones that smell the least and put that one on. Like you're going to confront conflict with the wife if that's your plan. Ladies, you can't paint the entire house pastels, right? You, you can't. The, the man has to have a place where he feels normal. And so you're going to have to discuss those issues and talk about those things. There's going to come conflict when you bring a new roommate because the old nature is still there. It's still present, alive, and active. But so is the new desires. Now, I'm joking a little bit with describing uh, the conflict that's there, but the the truth of the matter is the Bible uses much harsher language to describe this old nature. This old nature isn't just one with, with different preferences. The old nature ultimately desires death. In Scripture, it uses a lot of different language to describe this old nature. In Galatians chapter 16, it says this, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit so that they are in opposition to one another so that you do not do the things that you please. The reality is there is a battleground now inside each one of us. And scripture will use several terms to describe this battleground. It will describe them, this flesh, as reigning in your bodies. It will describe this flesh as being master over you. And in 1 Peter, he will use war imagery to describe this conflict within each one of us. He will say that the desire of the flesh is to literally wage war against the soul. Your lusts will wage war against the spirit that is now inside of you. And the reality is this is more of a battle than it is just a look at petty preferences. Galatians chapter five says, 
in verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are in opposition to one another. The word set desire in verse 17 is basically trans, could also be translated lust. So the flesh literally lusts against the work of the spirit, lust for things that are against the spirit. Also, the word opposition is used to describe this relationship. It means, it could literally mean oppose someone, but it even goes beyond that to be psychological and physiological. Um, There are ideas that are solicited to your mind and actions that your body wants to engage in that that the flesh desires in opposition to what the spirit desires. There is now a war going on with inside of you and the challenge is identifying the enemy because these are internal. You are your own Benedict Arnold. You've got your own battle waging within you. The power of the flesh and the power of the spirit within you. When I was in high school, I ran, uh, ran track. And so I had my buddies uh, that we all kind of ran and, and hung out together. And we decided at one point in time to have a paintball tournament. Now, we didn't have the money to buy all the right equipment. We couldn't buy the helmets or the guns. So we used chemistry goggles and slingshots, right? And we got our, our little paintballs. And no one was really in charge, Okay, so we all ran out to this forest that was out behind the school and no one was really directing when a game started or when it finished or who was on what team. And so we basically kind of figured it out like, okay, we're on red team and we're going to have a red flag and you're on blue team and you're going to have your blue flag. But when the game started, a game would end and another would start. People would switch teams. And so you never really knew who was on what side, right? And at one point during the game, I, me and my buddy are walking up and we see two of the guys that are actually on the opposing team sitting there and they ask us, what team are you in? And we said, yours, of course, yours. And they get up and they start walking away and I rear back and I pop them in the butt. It was great. Jumped, screamed, ran off because he couldn't tell who was the enemy and who was the ally. What Paul is saying in this section is you have a flesh within you and it's difficult to determine whether it's from God or from you, whether it's God's desires or your desires. And so what Paul does in the rest of our section is really lines out how we determine, how we determine what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. Now, the fleshly desires can basically be listed in four different categories. There's sexual, there's false worship, there's conflict, and there's drunkenness. Join me in chapter uh, five, verse 19. It says this, now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, all basically sexual terms. The first word that he uses is um, immorality, which is the Greek word porneia, which describes all forms of illicit sexual activity. Um, We get our word porn from that, so it just kind of is a juncture term to describe all sorts of sexual sin. The word impurity basically means um, sexual thoughts, And immorality is basically a brazen debauchery, just kind of going out there and living a sensual life. And so if you're a player or you're a seductress, this is your camp, right? That's you. The next thing that he lists is uh, false worship. And he describes it as idolatry uh, or or sorcery. So if you're in a Wiccan cult, you're worshiping Buddha, you're into new age spirituality, or if if it's more subtle in your life and you worship money and success and fame, All worship apart from God is sin. It's of your flesh. The next group of lists that he is the largest section is basically conflict within you. 
or conflict around you. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Is your life surrounded by conflict? Is there conflict around your life? Is there always drama? If there is, you're operating in your flesh. The word enmity is just a struggle with one another. And really, conflict comes in how you view people. When you walk into a room, do you see these people as your enemies or your allies? Do you see them as trying to steal something from you? Or do you see them as people you can genuinely help? Ladies, when you walk into a room, is each woman in the room a potential woman stealing your man? Or is she a potential friend? Men, when you're in the business world, are each one of these men trying to steal your place of authority or your rise in your job? Or are they someone you can help along the way? If they're an enemy, you are in your flesh. If you view them as an enemy, scripture says we have no earthly enemies. Our enemy is spiritual. And so if you view them as an enemy, the reality is you are operating in your flesh. It is your fleshly desires coming out. The last one that he lines out is uh, drunkenness and and, uh, sensuality, which could basically be described as as going out there and engaging in the partying scene, getting drunk, jumping out there into the, uh, you know, you go to the hall and you just kind of live it up and you got your money, you spend it up, you know, like that's your world you know that you are operating out of the flesh. See, they're obvious. And what he says to them, they're evident to all because the reality is if you engage in these behaviors over a period of time, the result will be destruction. If you live here in your flesh, the result in your world will be death. If you cannot control your sexual appetites, what will eventually happen is you will get a divorce, You will not be able to sustain a relationship. You will bring pain around you. I read an article in the U.S. News and World Report talking about prostitution, the sex slave situation in America. It said the Super Bowl is the largest drawer of sex trafficking than any event in America. The article was talking about a woman in 1989 who at 14 years old was drawn into this sex trafficking and was then brought to different Super Bowls. Um, At this past Super Bowl, they arrested, or 2010 Super Bowl, they arrested over 50 women who are part of the sex trafficking trade. It's an issue. It's our fleshly lusts, which bring destruction. I mean, these were little girls. Your worship, what's God to you? Recently, with the stock markets kind of fluctuating, and particularly in 2007, 2008, when the things was really going down, many company leaders committed suicide because they couldn't imagine a life where this God didn't produce what they wanted. Conflict. What is your world like? Our children are suffering the repercussions of parents that can't mend relationships because they're operating in their flesh. It's real. And it's destructive. I had a friend of mine in college. Uh, he couldn't imagine a weekend without going out and partying. He said, I, just, I feel like I'm missing something if I don't get out there into the club scene. If I don't you know, leave here and get there, I don't know how you can sit at home. I just, I've got to be in the mix. Because the reality is the flesh was alive and present within him. And sometimes it's difficult to distinguish. 
Lady Gaga uh, wrote a song recently called Judas and received a lot of flack from the writing of that song. And her response to that was, how could something so pure be wrong? The answer, your flesh. Not every thought is a good thought. Not every action is a good action. I don't care where it comes from. There is a war within each one of us and we can operate either in fleshly actions or godly actions. The truth is you've got to take a look at yourself and say, what am I operating in? Am I operating in in this situation? The reverse is the fruit of the Spirit. And this list is great. This list is what you want in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The Greek word agape, a genuine heartfelt love for both God and others, a self-sacrificing love. Joy, a genuine joy despite the circumstance, despite what's going on around you, there's a genuine contentment in all situations. Peace, an absence of conflict. You're not looking for a fight. You can deal with the issue. Patience, you can calmly walk through all circumstances. Kindness, you're just nice to people. Gentleness, goodness. People enjoy being around you and you are good to those you walk in relationship with. Faithfulness, you can be trusted and your word is going to be true. Self-control, I like this last word. I have a friend from Germany and uh, in German, that word self-control was only translated as sexual control and I did some research on it. It's actually both. It's sexual control of your sexual appetites, but also general control of yourself. And what's great about this list is that it's a lump sum. When the spirit is alive and working within you, you get the whole package. It's the whole apple. You get love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. When you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the spirit begins producing these things within you. But there's still a struggle. There's still a battle within each one of us. But you know when these things are present, when you see it lived out in a person. Remember when I was in Colorado a couple years ago, um, my cousin Brock was a painter. And so I was spending the summer painting houses with him, which is terrible work. I don't know if you paint houses yourself. It is so, I respect you. It's so challenging. And uh, so I spent the summer painting houses with him and there, there came a point when we were going to be painting my uncle's house. And so there was a minivan parked in the driveway and we were backing up the minivan to get it out of the way so it wouldn't be sprayed with paint or stain. And so as we're backing up the minivan, getting it out of the way, um, I jump into the car and the, the hill that it was on was pretty steep and pretty rocky. And so I start backing it up and I back it off the side of the road on the side of a mountain. And immediately I'm freaking out, right? Because in my world, any sort of drama or pain like this means everyone is on edge. And so I'm freaking out. I'm expecting my cousin to yell at me. I jump out of the car. I leave the door open. I look over at him and he's standing there to the side looking at me. And he just laughs. He just goes, (laughs) Flatlander. You know, that was his response. To me, this is a crazy moment, a crazy scenario. And, he's, and he gets his car, hooks it up and pulls it out and it ends up being fine. But in my realm, whenever there's some sort of crazy moment, everyone responds with stress and he didn't. And the truth is, watching that in his life made me want to be a Christian. I said, there is something else at operation within this guy and that's what I want. 
And so they loaded me up with a whole bunch of books, a whole bunch of tapes, and I'm reading, absorbing the words of God and doing the best I can to grow in my relationship with God. And it is, it's, it's been challenging, no doubt. But when you see this lived out in a person, it is powerful to watch. And the way I would encourage us to view our life is like a lawn. You know, this is the battle that's within each one of us, but how do we get there? What's our plan to get to that place? And I would encourage you to, and this is what I do, I I view my life like a lawn. When I moved into my new house, they laid out all of the lawn in front of the house, but they didn't remove anything underneath it. So there was rebar and rocks and cups from Sonic, kind of all underneath the sod that they had put in my house, right? And so I need to go out to the first time to mow and I'm walking around and I'm seeing all of these rocks and stuff all over my lawn. And I'm like, this is just insane. Why did they do this? And so I had to begin the process of removing those things that were not going to help my grass grow. Taking out the rebar, removing the rocks, taking out the Sonic cups, throwing it away. And not only that, I had to replace it with those things that would actually help it grow. Water and fertilizer. You see, the Christian life is a lot like caring for a lawn. There are things in your life that you've got to remove. And there's also things that you've got to replace after you remove them. But the first step before you begin this process is simple. Galatians chapter five, verse 23 says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you've put your faith in Christ, The victory of your flesh has been destroyed and now you have a new operation. You can live your life according to the spirit. Romans chapter eight fleshes out a little bit more for us if you want to flip there. Romans chapter eight says this in verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The Puritans would have a a great way of describing this, they would say there's a process of mortification and vivification. There's things within your life that you kill and things within your life that you help to promote growth. There are pieces in our life that we remove and there are pieces in our life that we put in so that our life can grow. So what are those? Well, I'll just ask you a couple of questions. How do we remove what's wrong? I would take a moment And think about those fields, identify those places where they they are losing battles for you. Look at how you spend your time, look at location, and look at your influences. Are there times during the day when you know you're going to lose the battle to your flesh? Is it late at night? Is it during the day? Is it at work? Is it when you're all alone? Location. Are there places that you go that you know if you head there, you're going to lose the battle? Um, I had a friend of mine who was a, uh, in pharmaceutical sales and he knew that he was going to be going off on a lot of kind of overnight trips with the buddies that were part of that selling organization. And he knew that at night, every night when they're off away from home, they're going to go out and they're going to get drunk and they're probably going to go to a club afterward. 
And so there was a period of time when he just kind of, he stopped. He said, I, I can't go out with them. I'm not even going to go to dinner with them at all. I've got to remove myself from, those, from that location. Eventually, he quit his job. He said, the temptation is too much. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to completely remove myself from that. And is that tough? Yeah. Is your influence. Ladies, some of you, you can't buy Glamour magazine or fashion, whatever the magazines are, because you know that every time you sit there in front of that magazine and start reading it, it's going to solicit thoughts in your mind of comparison, and you're going to struggle. Where is it? Identify those influences, those locations, those times when you are losing the battle. Align them out and remove them. Take yourself out of those scenarios. It may be through accountability. It may be through accountability software. It may mean you can't go to the bar or you can't go hang out with a certain constituency of people for a while. You've got to remove what's wrong. Take out the rocks. Then you're replaced with what's right. You put in those pieces within your life that are going to help your life grow. So what are those? I would say plant time and plant thoughts. For some of you, uh, you don't spend time regularly with God. You don't spend time in prayer and confession saying, God, this is where I messed up. This is me. This is, this is my struggle. You don't do it regularly because your world is crazy. You've got kids. You've got work. You've got, fam- you've got all of these issues going around it, and, and you can't grab a moment away. What I'd say is, yeah, you can. Is it going to be really early or is it going to be really late? Are you going to get up early before everything starts going to spend time praying with God, deeply developing that relationship, feeding the Spirit's work within you? Some of you is going to be late. Some of you is going to be on lunch break. People with kids, like my wife, it's going to be when that child's napping or you just put that child in the crib and say, you're going to pretend to nap and I'm going to do something else for a period of time so I can stay sane. And, and you're going to spend some time with God. The kid will be okay for 10 minutes but you put within your life time to connect with the Spirit. I'd also say plant thoughts. Um, I I know uh, conflicts surrounded my world in college because I had a roommate that I couldn't get along with. And I even remember every time I would come home, um, I was dreading the moment when I had to look at him and deal with him. So instead, I started praying. I started praying for him. I started praying for his success, that he would know Jesus, that God would be working in his life. And God slowly began changing my heart for him. Ladies, when you walk into a room, instead of seeing all of these women as your enemy, pray for them, that they would know Jesus, that they would walk with Jesus, that they would succeed. Guys, when you walk into your world, these guys aren't out to get you. They're opportunities to help. Pray for them. We have no human enemies. Romans tells us to seek good for others and it'll be like reaping burning coals on their head. He doesn't say reap burning coals on their head. He says, do good. Overcome evil with good. Fill in new thoughts into your mind. There are not enemies. There are opportunities. The truth is, when you put these pieces in your life, change won't happen immediately. I wish it did. I wish I could say you put four things into your life. Uh, we're done here, people. Go off, you know, be filled with the Spirit. But the process is actually time-consuming. It's like a lawn. You've got to remove those pieces. And some of you have some big rocks to remove this week. You know I've got to take these things out of my life. 
and you begin fostering growth. And there will be times when weeds pop up and you pull those weeds, but over time, as you partner with the Spirit's work in your life and you continue to remove what's wrong, there will be more grass than weeds, I promise you. And people will notice. When they see this lived out in your life and the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated through your life, people will be astonished. I have two stories that I would want to close with. The first story was um, from a book called The Call by Oz Guinness. He talks about a family, um, a people. They were from the religious sect of the French Huguenots. They were Christians. And there came a point um, while they were in Germany during World War II that the Germans were coming and taking away the Jews to, to concentration camps. The pastor and his wife couldn't stand it. And so they decided that they were going to hide these Jews and protect these Jews. Well, the Germans got wind of this. And so they had sent soldiers to their house to take the pastor away. And here's what happens. The pastor and his wife had been invited to dinner by church members who, knowing they often forgot such invitations, sent their daughter to remind them. But when she entered the dining room, she saw the police arresting her pastor. So word flew around the village and on, that Andre Trome had been arrested. Typically, however, Magna Trome invited the two policemen in to have dinner with them. Friends later were incredulous and upset, saying, how can you bring yourself to sit down and eat with these men who were taking your husband away, perhaps even to his death? Madame Tremay responded in her typical answer, what are you talking about? It was dinner time. They were standing in my way, and we were all hungry. Remarkable. The last story that I would give you is from the life of D.L. Moody, one of my personal heroes. D.L. Moody was an evangelist during the 1820s, the most popular man in the world at his time. He came to faith by a man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and he visited D.L. Moody one day when, as he was working uh, at a shoe shop selling shoes. And Edward Kimball visited him, not expecting great results, shared the gospel with him, and D.L. Moody believed to his astonishment. D.L. Moody then goes out for church membership, and he gets denied twice. They're like, you cannot be a church member. Edward Kimball would say later on, he was the least likely candidate to ever become a Christian. D.L. Moody records a, a time when Henry Valley made a, a statement that stuck with him. Henry Valley says this, it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly to, to him. I'm told that when Henry Valley said this, Mr. Moody said to himself, well, I'll be that man. Later on, Moody would preach at various evangelistic campaigns all over the United States and, and England in particular. And there's a group of men that wanted to bring D.L. Moody in to preach. And one of the younger ministers is getting kind of frustrated because he's like, why does everyone want D.L. Moody to come? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And one of the older men standing there says, no. But the Holy Spirit has monopoly on D.L. Moody. R.A. Torrey was a buddy of D.L. Moody and spoke at D.L. Moody's funeral. And he says this of D.L. Moody. As for my part, I do not think it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself wholly to him. I think we've seen it in D.L. Moody. The next step is yours. Give yourself fully to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God promises he 
provides the spirit both to will and to work within you. He'll give you the desires and the power to put to death the deeds of the flesh and live a new life by the power of the spirit. It's good news. The next step is yours. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for a time to learn more about this very real battle that we're a part of. And Lord, I I know that many of us here, we have truly struggled with our flesh, with our sin nature. All of us do. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to take out those things in our life that are leading us astray. And Father, by the power of your spirit, you would give us the ability to walk in newness of life. You promise you will. I'm asking, Lord, that you give us the power, the courage to do it. We're gonna close today with communion. I don't know where each one of you is in your personal walk with Jesus. But the great news is, is that our king died for our sins, taking the penalty of all of our mistakes, sending the power of the spirit to help us to live a new life. We do this in remembrance of him. Let me come forward.